feelings to be the invariable aftermath of any transaction involving Miss Shepherd. One seldom was able to do her a good turn without some thoughts of strangulation. It must have been a year or so after this, and so sometime in the late sixties, that the van first appeared in our crescent. In those days the street was still a bit of a mixture. Its large, semi-detached villas had originally been built to house the Victorian middle class, then it had gone down in the world, and though it had never entirely decayed, many of the villas degenerated into rooming houses, and so were among the earliest candidates for what is now called gentrification, which was then called knocking through. Young professional couples, many of them in journalism or television, bought up the houses, converted them, and, an invariable feature of such conversions, knocked the basement rooms together to form a large kitchen dining room. In the mid-sixties, I wrote a BBC TV series, Life in NW1, based on one such family, the Stringalongs, whom Mark Boxer then took over to people a cartoon strip in The Listener, and who kept cropping up in his drawings for the rest of his life. What made the social setup funny was the disparity between the style in which the new arrivals found themselves able to live and their progressive opinions. Guilt, put simply which today's gentrifiers are said famously not to feel, or not to have a problem about. We did have a problem, though I'm not sure we were any better for it. There was a gap between our social position and our social obligations, and it was in this gap that Miss Shepherd, in her van, was able to live. October 1969 When she's not in the van, Miss Shepherd spends much of her day sitting on the pavement in Parkway, where she has a pitch outside Williams and Glynn's bank. She sells tracts, entitled True View, Mattering Things, which she writes herself, though this isn't something she'll admit. I sell them, but so far as the authorship is concerned, I'll say they're anonymous, and that's as far as I'm prepared to go. She generally chalks the gist of the current pamphlet on the pavement, though with no attempt at artistry. St. Francis... Hurled money from him, is today's message, and prospective customers have to step over it to get into the bank. She also makes a few copper selling pencils. A gentleman came the other day and said that the pencil he bought from me was the best pencil on the market at the present time. It lasted him three months. He'll be back for another one shortly. One of the more conventional neighbours, and not a knocker-through, stops me and says, Tell me... Is she a genuine eccentric? April 1970 Today we move Miss Shepherd's van. An obstruction order has been put under the windscreen wiper, stating that it's stationed outside number 63 and is a danger to public health. This order, Miss Shepherd insists, is a statutory order. And statutory means standing. In this case, standing outside number 63. So if the van is moved on... The order will be invalid. Nobody ventures to argue with this, but she can't decide whether her next pitch should be outside number 61 or on the other side of the road, outside my house. Eventually she decides there's a nice space outside 62 and plumps for that. Nick Tomlin and I heave away at the back of the van, but while she's gracefully indicating that she's moving off for all of the 15 feet, the van doesn't budge. Have you let the handbrake off? Nick Tomlin asks. There's a pause. I'm just in the process of taking it off. 
As we are poised for the move, another Camden Town eccentric materialises, a tall, elderly figure in a long overcoat and Homburg hat, with a distinguished grey moustache, and in his buttonhole a flag for the Primrose League. He takes off a grubby canary glove and leans a shaking hand against the rear of the van, and when we've moved it forward the few statutory feet, he puts on his glove again, saying, If you should need me, I'm just round the corner. He means in the Routon house. I ask Miss Shepherd how long she's had the van. Since 1965, she says, though don't spread that around. I got it to put my things in. I came down from St Albans in it and planned to go back there eventually. I'm just peddling water at the moment. I've always been in the transport line, chiefly delivery and chauffeuring. You know, she says mysteriously, renovated army vehicles. And I've got good topography. I always have had. I knew Kensington in the blackout. This van, there were to be two others in the course of the next twenty years, was originally brown, but by the time it had reached the crescent it had been given a coat of yellow. Miss Shepherd was fond of yellow. It's the papal colour, and was never content to leave her vehicles long in their original trim. Sooner or later she could be seen moving slowly round her immobile home, thoughtfully touching up the rust from a tiny tin of primrose paint, looking in her long dress and sun hat, much as Vanessa Bell would have looked, had she gone in for painting Bedford vans. Miss Shepherd never appreciated the difference between car enamel and ordinary gloss paint, and even this she never bothered to mix. The result was that all her vehicles ended up looking as if they'd been given a coat of badly made custard or plastered with scrambled egg. Still, there were few occasions on which one saw Miss Shepherd genuinely happy, and one of them was when she was putting paint on. A few years before she died, she went in for a reliant robin to put more of her things in. It was actually yellow to start with, but that didn't save it from the additional coat, which she applied as Monet might have done, standing back to judge the effect of each brush-stroke. This reliant stood outside my gate. It was stowed away last year, a scatter of yellow drops on the curb, all that remained to mark its final parking place. January 1971 Charity in the Crescent takes refined forms. The publishers next door are bringing out some classical volume, and to celebrate the event, last night held a Roman dinner. This morning the au pair was to be seen knocking at the window of the van with a plate of Roman remains. But Miss Shepherd is never easy to help. After twelve last night I saw her striding up the Crescent, waving her stick and telling someone to be off and I heard a retreating middle-class voice say plaintively, But I only asked if you were all right. June 1971 Scarcely a day passes now without some sort of incident involving the lady in the van. Yesterday evening, around ten, a sports car swerves over to her side of the road so that the driver, rich, smart, and in his twenties, can lean over and bang on the side of the van presumably to flush out for his grinning girlfriend, the old witch who lives there. I shout at him, and he sounds his horn and roars off. Miss Shepherd, of course, wants the police called, but I can't see the point, and indeed around five this morning I wake to find two policemen at much the same game, idly shining their torches in the windows, in the hope that she'll wake up and enliven a dull hour of their beat. Then tonight, 
A white car reverses dramatically up the street, screeches to a halt beside the van, and a burly young man jumps out and gives the van a terrific shaking. Assuming, hoping probably, he would have driven off by the time I get outside, I find he's still there, and I ask him what he thinks he's doing. His response is quite mild. What's up with you then, he asks. You still on the telly? You nervous? You're trembling all over. He goes off laughing and swearing. After all that, of course, Miss Shepherd isn't in the van at all, so I end up, as usual, more furious with her than I am with the lout. These attacks, I'm sure, disturbed my peace of mind more than they did hers. Living in the way she did, every day must have brought such cruelties. Some of the stallholders in the street market used to persecute her with medieval relish, and children, too, who both inflict and suffer such casual cruelties themselves. One night, two drunks systematically smashed all the windows of the van, the flying glass cutting her face. Furious over any small liberty, she was only mildly disturbed by this. They may have had too much to drink by mistake, she says. That does occur through not having eaten, possibly. I don't want a case. She's far more interested in a ginger fellow I saw in Parkway in company with Mr. Khrushchev. Has he disappeared recently? But to find such sadism and intolerance so close at hand began actively to depress me, and having to be on the alert for every senseless attack made it impossible to work. There came a day when, after a long succession of such incidents, I suggested that she spend at least the nights in a lean-to at the side of my house. Initially reluctant, as with any change, over the next two years she gradually abandoned the van for the hut. In giving her sanctuary in my garden and landing myself with